Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Hello and welcome to World Weekly. I'm John Aglianby in London. In the last two weeks, tension on the Korean peninsula has risen dramatically. Pyongyang has threatened to target US territories in the Pacific and block South Korean workers from entering a joint industrial complex in the north. In part of its response, the US has flown bombers across the Korean peninsula as part of ongoing military exercises with South Korean forces. And on Wednesday, Chuck Hagel, the U.S. Defense Secretary, said, Some of the actions they've taken over the last few weeks present a a real and clear danger and threat to the interests, certainly, um, of our allies. So, is war imminent? What are the strategies of the U.S. and China, the most influential regional powers, in reducing tension? Joining me on the line from Washington is FT correspondent Jeff Dyer, and from Beijing is Jamil Andalini, the FT's Beijing bureau chief. Jeff, does the US really think that North Korea's young leader, Kim Jong-un, is engaging in anything more than saber-rattling, trying to impose his authority on the regime, or is there a real threat out there? Well, most people think that this is just the North Korean saber-rattling. It's a kind of rhetoric we've seen from North Korea many times in the past has a familiar ring, has a familiar pattern. But that doesn't mean to say there aren't very real risks attached to it. This is, as you say, a new young leader, and no one quite knows how much control he has over the North Korean military, and maybe he's trying to do things to establish his authority that might encourage him to take risks that the North Koreans wouldn't otherwise take. And you also have a new leader in South Korea who's also looking to establish herself, doesn't want to be seen to be weak, doesn't want to be seen to be caving into the North Korean threats in any way. So there's a whole series of things that, that while it might just be rhetoric, small miscalculations, small mistakes could easily spiral out of control. And meanwhile, Washington, what's its strategy in all of this? Well, Washington doesn't believe at this stage that there's any great military mobilization taking place in North Korea. It doesn't think that there is any real substance to the threat. At the same time, it doesn't want to make it seem as if it's completely ignoring them, completely blowing them off. So it is trying to take these very public acts which show continued deterrence against North Korea. So there are ongoing military exercises that happen every year at this time with South Korea. And Washington has done a number of things, making it public that it's thrown in certain types of fighter jets and thrown over certain types of bomber planes over the Korean Peninsula, just as, as symbols that it is there and that will respond if North Korea does anything very crazy. And do you think Washington's sending a message to China as well in all of this? At one level, there's some frustration that they you know, Washington always thinks that China should be doing more to try and put more pressure on North Korea to try and calm down its behavior. But one of the interesting things about what the Americans have done in the last few days is they've announced that they're sending more missile defense batteries to Guam, which is a very important military base in the Pacific. Now, they say they're doing that because of the potential threat from North Korea. In fact, North Korea has talked about trying to destroy the base with its missiles. 
But in the long term, some of that is, is actually more geared towards China because China is also developing a very powerful missile force. And so the U.S. is quite happy to have greater defenses against potential Chinese missiles in the future at its Guam base. And in some ways is using this North Korean skirmish to justify you know, beefing up its defenses against a potential Chinese in the future. Jamil, I mean, how does China see the action from both Washington and Pyongyang? I mean, after all, China also has new leadership and Beijing is Pyongyang's only real ally in the world. It's always a schizophrenic reaction in Beijing. You have, on the one hand, this long legacy, something like 150,000 Chinese soldiers lost their lives in the, in the Korean War fighting the Americans. But on the other hand, you know, you really sense a bit of embarrassment on the side of the Chinese that this weird young man leading this hermit kingdom is basically holding China's foreign policy to ransom. And of course, they see things like, as Jeff pointed out, you know, the Americans moving anti-missile batteries into to Guam is seen by China as, as something that threatens them. But they can't do very much when it's their ally, which is saying they're going to... Uh, submerge South Korea and America in a sea of fire. So, you know, you really get this dual reaction in China when you talk to when you talk to Chinese officials. On the one hand, they say, well, we'll defend our ally. On the other hand, they're, they're somewhat embarrassed about North Korea's behavior. Are the Chinese, I mean, they've been pretty silent over the last week or so. Are they just hoping the problem will go away of its own accord? Or are they actively intervening behind the scenes, do we think? Anything to do with North Korea policy is extremely sensitive in China. So any Chinese official who talks about specifics of China's policy to foreigners or to foreign journalists especially is at risk of being charged with revealing state secrets. And we've had some cases where Chinese officials have been put in jail for a long time for supposedly revealing state secrets when they talked about North Korea policy. I would suspect that uh, Beijing and uh, you know the foreign ministry Chinese officials, probably quite senior officials, are behind the scenes really lobbying hard to the North Koreans saying, don't do anything stupid. Obviously, China would be massively affected by any kind of open conflict. You say don't do anything stupid. I mean, Jeff, how capable does Washington think the North Korean military really is? I think they're not too worried about any attack on the U.S on the U.S. mainland or even on the U.S. bases in the region. I think the key issue is actually some sort of action on South Korea. We saw in 2010 the North Koreans sunk a South Korean warship, and then later in the year they shelled an island off the coast of South Korea. And that's the real risk at the moment, is that North Korea decides to do something similar, some sort of provocative act against the South Koreans. Because the mood has very much changed in South Korea, and there's a sense in the South Korean military that they're kind of fed up of not doing anything when North Korea does this, and they're they're much more prepared to retaliate if there is any kind of action against South Korea by the North in the next few weeks. That's the real risk that this verbal sparring and this seeming escalation of, of rhetoric can really spin out of control if, uh, if the North tries to do something more aggressive against South Korea. Washington hasn't exactly been toning down the rhetoric. Do you think Chuck Hagel's latest statement is likely to be the end of it and maybe they'll become slightly more dovish? Or what do you think we're going to see from the eastern side of the Pacific? They'll keep on saying that they will respond to any provocations, but uh, I don't necessarily think that Chuck Hagel's statement on Wednesday were dramatically different from the sorts of things American officials have been saying all the time through this crisis. The words were slightly different, but the, the basic message was the same. You know, they think this is mostly rhetoric, but if North Korea does do anything, that they are uh, ready to support South Korea and to respond. 
But I think obviously they're going to be responding to events in North Korea. And one of the key things we watch in the next few days is how this whole episode plays out at the Kisong industrial plant, the plant on the border between the two countries. But as of two days ago, the North Koreans start to block. That would be quite an important escalatory step if they continued with that. So that would be one of the key things to watch in the next few days. And as far as Beijing is concerned, Jamil, do you think we're going to see any change of mood from the leadership? Or what might it take for Xi Jinping, for example, to get involved? Is he just wanting to keep his head below the parapet on this? Well, no doubt Xi Jinping is heavily involved in any policy decisions regarding North Korea. He's the ultimate person in charge of China's foreign policy. We're going to see, I suspect, the same usual policy that China follows on on North Korea, which is to put out regular statements saying everybody calm down, to do a bit of lobbying behind the scenes in Pyongyang, and to try and make the Americans think that Beijing's responsible and doing all it can to rein in the pit bull in uh, Pyongyang. There have been suggestions and some, some hints that China might change its policy towards Pyongyang to get tougher on the North Koreans, but I think that's quite unlikely, at least a very public change is, is unlikely. There isn't a domestic political dimension to this in China at all, is there? The military in China are really, really powerful when it comes to policy setting vis-a-vis North Korea, and the military are always on the side of the generals in Pyongyang, and they always want to stick it to the Americans. So in the military, you can see a little sense of gloating. You know, they're, they're quite happy that North Korea is causing so much trouble for the Japanese, for the, for the Americans. But on the civilian side, you can see the frustration in the foreign ministry, for example, who are relatively weak in China's foreign policy-making process. On the one hand, you have the, the generals who think it's uh, it's great that uh, the North Koreans are causing so much trouble. And then you have the more the civilian side and the diplomats who are wringing their hands and saying, I wish it would all go away. Is there any sense that perhaps the Chinese are controlling Kim Jong-un or is he very much his own man? I think pretty much everyone assumes that he's his own man, that the North Koreans are very unreliable allies. North Korea only has one real ally, and that's China. China doesn't really have any allies besides North Korea. They have some influence, more influence than anyone else on Pyongyang. For one, they supply most of the fuel oil and food aid to the regime. They basically prop it up. But on on the other side, they, they don't get very much back from that. Whenever they try and tell the North Koreans not to let off a nuclear device, the North Koreans go ahead and do it. So I think he's definitely his own man. Well, on that note, we shall all have to watch, wait and see what Kim Jong-un does in the days and weeks ahead. That's it for this week. My thanks to Jeff Dyer in Washington and Jamil Andalini in Beijing. World Weekly is produced by Katie Carney. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. 
The latest episode of the Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of the Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.